You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome in, everybody. It is on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny, hanging out with you. It is a Tuesday night here at WIP. I'm going back up to Vermont, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'm doing the show on a Tuesday. You know, I come in, Phil's playing the Giants. I'm at home. I'm eating dinner. Just woken up from a nap, ready to work an overnight tonight. And I'm watching the broadcast. Angelo Cataldi, the GOAT, is there hanging out with T-Mac and Cruck and all them. Giants take the lead. I come in. You know, Doval's a stud. They're closer. Gabe Kapler's throwing a new pitcher every inning. He has six dudes named Rogers. And I, I'm getting ready. To, I, I prepped the show. I'm ready to record. And the ninth inning happens. I mean, unbelievable. The Phillies come back and win it 3-2. to two. Now, if they lose tomorrow, obviously it's not, it's not as joyous as it is right now. Yet, the series has already won. A series that is probably a, a critical point in the season in the wild card race with the Giants coming into town. The series is won after a barrage in the first game and an awesome comeback. One of the wins of the year. I've said that a lot about a lot of wins so far. This was yet another one. Trey Turner comes up. He's 0 for 4. Base is loaded. Doinks one off Doval's glove. Goes into right field. Fills with it an awesome 3-2 to two win over the Giants. Who let Trey Turner remember how to hit? Seriously. You move him back up to the two-hole. He's producing. He's giving you knocks each and every night. The, like, yeah, he gets down to 0-2 immediately. That's usually how he rolls. But he's able to get those two strike hits. And, man, what, what an awesome scene. The ballpark looked electric. Everybody had to show out for the Gabe Kapler revenge tour. Now, he, he's been back, but I think this is the best Phillies and Giants, like the teams have been, this is the first series that's mattered. I believe he's been back when either one team was poor or the other was poor. And I, I mean, in a, in a beautiful way, Kapler's number one enemy, Angelo's out there as the Giants take the lead. Angelo's watching Castellanos pop up to left field and thinks it's gone. Know your park. But man, what, what a win. What an awesome scene. And I, I mean... Listen, there, there are some concerns to talk about with this baseball team, but there's no way to discount the way that they keep finding ways to win. It's their, their inconsistency continues to be frustrating, showcased beautifully by the national series over the weekend and down in Toronto even, dropping the first game and coming back with a huge offensive output in the second. The inconsistency sucks, but I hate to go back to last year. Because last year is such an impossible comparison point. The team was not that good until it got to the postseason. Until really that final trip when, when Aaron Nola dealt in Houston to get them in. And maybe not even until the ninth inning in St. Louis. When they, that six-run ninth with the bases loaded and the uh, Marmol, the Cardinals manager, handing the Phillies the game, what turned out to be the series. That team wasn't very good. Now, there's a, a great account on Twitter that... That updates the Phillies' record this season with that of previous years, notably 2008 World Series champions, obviously, in 1980, and even last year. 
And yeah, th- this team actually is trending in a better direction than those teams were. Now, that's not to say that a run is going to happen. We know all that has to go right. But yeah, they've they, they've had an okay August. I, I believe they were 15 and 15 in their 30 games leading up to the Giants series. And these two wins obviously have helped that out. But the rest of the NL wild card is somewhat collapsing around them. They have a stranglehold on the number one spot. They just need to play solid, somewhat consistent baseball. And they're hosting that first weekend series here at Citizens Bank Park, which will be necessary. We saw in the ninth inning of that Giants game, the the 4-3 walk-off, Doval calls timeout because he can't hear his pitch com because the stadium's too loud. Like You don't think that's going to be a factor come playoff time? you got to host that first series, and it looks like they will. There's a lot to get to today, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the beginning of the Giants series before Game 3 Wednesday afternoon. Who's the Phillies MVP so far this season? We've been talking about it on WIP for a couple days. I wanted to share my thoughts. I wanted to chime in. A lot of directions you could go with it. It's interesting because there, there isn't a clear name. Uh, to me, I would, I would vote for one guy. But there are arguments for and against almost all of the big contributors. Really interesting way to look at it. And what's the biggest surprise so far of this MLB season? It's been a weird one. There have been a lot, there's been a lot to go not according to plan, not according to the prediction. We'll get to all that coming up a little later on. But given the nature of the walk-off against the Giants, it's time to start on a very positive note. Now, uh, yeah, there have been negatives over the last week. Sunday at Williamsport with media going down and the team going down to the Nationals with a, a rally-killing homer by Jake Cave, which is just classic. Uh, and you had one from Schwarber, I believe, earlier in that Washington series, too. There were some. It was an inconsistent week. It was a frustrating week at times, but we have to start positive. So entering the Giants series, here's this note, and this is where we're starting today. The Phillies are hitting the ball out of the ballpark. There was that long stretch of the season, both with Bryce Harper as the clear example of it not happening, where they, for some reason, just could not hit home runs. Kyle Schwarber was the one guy at the top of the lineup. Castellanos would, would do some as well. But they were not producing in the power department when guys were on base. And, I mean, the stats for and against are, are night and day. Since July 1st, a uh, colleague Jack Fritz tweeted this out. Since July 1st, the Phillies are 9-0 and when they hit three home runs in one game. They are 15-18 and when they do not. Now, I believe that number improved to 10-0 with the first game against the Giants. So, uh, and 16-18, and obviously not hitting three home runs in the other win. But still, they do not lose baseball games when they hit home runs. Now, we saw that in Toronto. We saw it in Washington for that explosion. Trey Turner with the two home runs in the eighth inning. It's night and day with his baseball team. But the good note is that since August 1st, they're tied with the Atlanta Braves. And again, this is entering the Giants series. They were tied with the Atlanta Braves for the most home runs in baseball since the beginning of August. Now, they haven't won all those games. There's been some pitching things to note, which will be another focus of this show today. But no turnaround more notable in the last couple weeks than Bryce Harper. I believe he had five home runs between June and July. He already has six in August. He went deep again against the Giants in the first inning tonight. Just a, I, 
and expect a turnaround. He came back two months early from Tommy John, and a lot of people freaked out that the power was gone, that he was just a slap hitter, which still valuable, still hitting 300. He'll get on base. But he's Bryce Harper. When you get to the postseason, that's the guy you need up, hitting third, hopefully, hitting towards the top of the lineup with men on base. That's the guy you need driving the ball out of the ballpark. And that Bryce Harper's back. We saw little glimpses of it. I talked about it on last week's show. The trends were positive. We maybe hadn't seen the full breakthrough yet, but that breakthrough's here. And his home run against the Giants was huge. I mean, they, they won 4-3, to three, but that to, to make it a 2-1 ball game after the first inning. So that's the good. The offense is here. And yes, it, some of it's been against bad pitching. Pablo Lopez of the Twins shut him down. And that's going to happen. When you get to the playoffs, yeah, yeah, you'll face good pitchers. The team as a whole needs to be hot. A lot's made about the Phillies beat up on bad pitchers and stink against good ones. I don't totally buy into it, but also I think it's worth noting that that's baseball. There's a reason that pitchers are really good. There's something, and maybe this happens everywhere, but there's something with the Phillies that when they lose, it's always their fault. Whether it's a misplay in the outfield or a guy strikes out too many times or the manager does something people disagree with. It's always the Phillies' fault when they lose. Yet, when the Phillies win, it's because the team's bad. Or it's, or sometimes it's actually because they play well. It's never, there's never a reaction that says, you know what, Let, let's tip our cap. Pablo Lopez was awesome tonight. Now, I, w- I would rather not, what's his name, Trevor Williams of the Nationals, who the Phillies have rocked. I'd rather him not shut down the team. But there are moments where pitchers are on. And you have to tip your cap uh, as... What did Pedro Martinez say in 2003 or 2004? Tip our caps and call the Yankees our daddies. Now, I'm not going to do that literally. The Yankees absolutely stink. But that thought, like there are moments where pitchers pitch well. And some of the reaction, it's baseball. It's the nature of talking about it every day. But if you continue to take an eagle eye look at this team, the signs are very promising. They're playing well. You hope for health. Alvarado came back tonight, which was awesome to see and very, very necessary. The signs are good. You can go into the minutiae and you can talk about all their flaws. There's only one really flawless team in baseball right now. It's the Atlanta Braves. Yet every Phillies fan knows when you get to that postseason series, anything can happen. And the hope is that, like last year, the Phillies are hot, they go off at home, and anything, quote-unquote, does happen. All right, it's on the clock. Ben Kenny with you. Uh, a crazy week for a, I mean, the most roller coaster baseball team I've seen in some time. It's not, well, sometimes it's down for a while, but it's not consistently down, consistently up. It's night in, night out. You never know what you're going to get, and sometimes that's a bad thing. Um, before I get to the Phillies MVP and some other, some other stories that I'm monitoring, there are some causes for concern, which I'll get to after the break. I have to shine a light for a second on the craziness that was Saturday, the game in Washington. So I'm out in Vermont, seeing some friends out there, seeing some family, playing golf. It's my favorite golf state in the world. And uh, if you've ever been up there, you know the service is not great. Now the drive from, I, I went camping on Saturday night. The drive from my family's house up there to where I was going camping goes through this beautiful mountain pass and there's no service for about 25 minutes. 
So I'm listening to Fransky and LA call the game. It is, or maybe it was Fransky and Stalker. It's three to three, and Trey Turner's up to bat. It's the eighth inning, and I am concerned because, well, Castellanos had just tied the game, yet, like, it's the Nationals. I know they're playing well, but still, the Nationals are the team the Phillies are supposed to beat up on in order to to catapult themselves into the playoffs like they did last year. So I lose service. I throw on a golf podcast I listen to. Just aimless listening. It's a beautiful drive. The sun is setting. And 25 minutes later, I regain service. I look at my phone. I turn the radio back on. It is the end of the top of the eighth inning. And the Phillies are winning 12-3. to Trey Turner had gone deep twice. And the offense exploded. And the Nationals never took out the pitcher, which you feel bad for the guy, but you get it. That's, as they say in succession, one of Tom's favorite sayings is that the pitcher was a human meat shield, a pain sponge, if you will. It's just a true, we know it sucks, but get through it. Whatever. This is part of your job. And that was awesome to see. And Trey Turner even driving the ball out of the ballpark. So throw that in the notch of, the Phillies' power numbers looking quite good. Castellanos has has had a productive week as well. Like Offensively, you're starting to really feel good about this team, which is critical. You can sense that a hot streak is possible. All throughout June, when the pitching was carrying, it was harder to see the offense start to go off. Now, JT even has had a pretty good month of August, and Marsh just came back. You wonder what the center field plan will be with Rojas out there, do they platoon? We, we saw tonight a substitution. They bring Marsh in for offense. You wonder what that plan will be, but offensively, you're starting to see signs. You're starting to see signs that, that Turner's being productive, Harper's hitting the ball out of the park, Kyle Schwarber's had continued productivity from the leadoff spot, and then the young kids continue to get it done. So I feel good about the offense. There is one concern, though. And I'm going to get to it when we come back, as well as who's the Phillies MVP so far this season? Who's been the guy that that has done the most to get them to where they are right now? I will touch on that. Uh, Some notes on Major League Baseball as a whole coming up. Just a lot. I, I have a lot of thoughts on the last week with the Phillies. Some lineup changes, a move I would be open to the team making. But I, I want to start with a, a mild cause for concern. We'll hit that when we come back. I'm Ben Kenny. It's on the clock. All right, we're back on the clock. Ben Kenny with you. Phillies 24-7, Sports Radio WIP. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Z. Kenny. It's where I share the show. That's where I, listen, I'm a big fan of college football. But hit me up on Twitter. Obviously, subscribe to this podcast feed. Both these shows, shows from the rest of our staff here. Awesome stuff as the Phillies prepare to make another postseason run. Now, Here's a question. If anything is going to hold them back down the stretch of this season and as they get to the playoffs, what's it going to be? Because I have my finger on something. And frankly, I think it comes down, believe it or not, as someone who sometimes poo-poos how much impact a manager has, it comes down to Rob Thompson. And that is the starting pitching. I would argue right now, especially after what we've seen Injury update-wise and performance-wise, the Phillies right now have one reliable starting pitcher. His name is Zach Wheeler. And even he, well, as long as he is not facing the Nationals, then he's in a good spot. But he's the one reliable starter. 
as I said last week, Aaron Nola is my game two starter. He had a really good night against San Francisco. The ball continues to leave the yard. I would be naive. I would be an idiot to say that he's reliable right now. Or maybe he's reliable to give up runs, but he's not vintage Nola. Now, after that, everybody throughout June, oh, Ranger Suarez, there's your game two guy. He's pitching to a a 1-0 in June. Same thing with Taiwan Walker. They sign Lorenzen. He throws a no-hitter. Take a step back and look at where the rest of those guys are right now. Now, Walker was solid tonight. Not great. But the team just had to skip a start to give him more rest. His velocity has been down for the last couple weeks. Now, it was back to good sign. It was back tonight. Yet still, I can't call him reliable at the moment. Or at least reliable to the point that in the postseason, I'm confident he'll pitch well. He has not pitched well over the last couple weeks. Ranger Suarez, as we speak today, is on the injured list. Now, I think it's more of a precautionary move to get him some rest, skip a start, make sure he's good for the postseason. I think he'll be out of the bullpen come playoff time, given his experience there and the need, as I've said, with this pen. Michael Lorenzen, also, two great starts at the beginning of his Phillies career. Then he's a 6-1 lead in Washington and gives it all up. There's nobody on this starting staff. Maybe Chris Sanchez is the answer. But come playoff time, are you relying on Chris Sanchez to start a big-time game? I would I would rather not. There's only one reliable starting pitcher on this staff right now, and it's Wheeler. So how does, how does Thompson manage this? How do they go forward and make sure these guys are right? Because there's a balance. It's a question of, do we push these guys and make sure that we get the top wildcard spot? which right now, luckily, the rest of the teams vying for it absolutely stink, and the Phils are up comfortably in that regard over the Cubs, who lost tonight, and the Giants, who they obviously beat, and then the rest of the teams who have been putrid since the All-Star break. But do they go rest? Do they try to push the guys? I think Taiwan Walker is well-suited to have a couple starts skipped to make sure the arm's fresh because we've seen fatigue affect him. And Wheeler and Nola, too. That's the big concern or the big question I have. Are they going to push Wheeler and Nola all the way through the season? Or like last year with Wheeler, do we see maybe a phantom IL stint? Do we see a start skipped? How is Thompson and his staff able to keep him fresh for the playoffs? Because that's what matters. They're going to be there. It's a question of do they host that first round, which we know is very important. They could go back to the six-man rotation, which then kills the bullpen. You see what I'm saying? There are many ways to manage this staff. It's not straightforward. You don't have a one, two, three that you feel good about and you know are dependable but aren't great. It's no. We know the ceilings of these pitchers. We've seen them when they're pitching really well, what it looks like. Right now, some of them are not pitching really well. It's a question of at the moment the playoffs start, how do you how are they maximizing their talent and how are they at the top of their game? And for me, I think it's skipping starts. It's being super careful. Now, it's not as if you could call guys up to start for you because there aren't, as we've seen, really any good options. No Dylan Covey is not starting a game for you, hopefully ever again. It's a really interesting conundrum. Now, the anecdote, the the magical elixir here is the offense just carrying the team, which I've always said should be how this team works with some occasionally great starting pitching. The offense is going to have to go off. 
because in order for Thompson to be able to keep guys fresh, and that goes for the bullpen too. Six-man rotation kills the bullpen, but if you move Lorenzen or Suarez there, Alvarado's back, you have numbers. How do you get guys fresh for that moment with a lot of guys showing signs of fatigue or signs of injury? The offense going off is how a lot of that is immediately fixed and immediately works well. So that's what my eyes are on with this team. That's my cause for mild concern. I don't think it will matter in the scheme of getting to the playoffs. I believe it will matter when they get there. All right. On the clock, Ben Kenny, I'm with you. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Who is the Phillies MVP so far this season? Think about it for a second. You can put together a top five or a top three or whatever. There are so many directions to go and a lot of mild attractions, to be honest, from each one. My MVP so far, it's a popular answer. It's Bryson Stott. Now, I would not say that he has been the team's best player, per se, but in terms of value, in terms of what the lineup needs and the stability, both defensively and offensively, he has brought it perfectly. There's no stat for this, but I I cannot tell you the amount of times a massive home run is hit or a massive play is made immediately after Bryson Stott draws a 10 to 12 pitch walk or after he lines one into the corner. It happened with Strider and the Hoskins bat spike last year. It happened the other night with Schwarber. It wasn't a big home run. or It was big in the sense of he hit it far. It wasn't big in the sense of it won the game. It was an 8-2 ball game. But the way he sets the tone, I think he lengthens the lineup tremendously. That's why I love him down at 6 or 7. He's hitting 295. His OPS is sub-800, but 782. He has played an awesome second base. I'm not going to bring up errors or lack thereof because we know how messed up scoring's gotten in this sport. But my MVP so far is Bryson Stott. And I, Harper, I would want up now, now that he's hitting for power. There's not another player on this team I want up in a big spot more than him. Whether it's to set the tone for a big inning, whether it's to continue a rally. I mean, most confidence right now in Bryson Stott at the plate. Now, the other options are interesting here. Because Bryce Harper has had a good offensive year despite only 10 home runs now. He's hitting 293. His OPS is 834. The problem with him is that he missed a lot of games. Bryson Stott has played in nearly 30 more games than he has. So it's hard to say Harper, and he didn't play the field until a couple weeks ago. Nick Castellanos carrying the offense for the first couple months of the season, but the downturns were way too big and too drastic for me to vote for him. Schwarber would be a hilarious submission. And if someone wants to do it, I'm game. He's hitting 183, but his on base is up there with a lot of the other top guys on the team. For He's second in the NL in walks. That's enough said. He sets the tone, leads the team in bombs, 33. The problem is he stinks at fielding. I feel like I'm Jonah Hill in Moneyball right now. Oh, this guy, he gets on base. He's a... You know, generational power hitter. His only detraction is that he stinks in the outfield and he hits 180. Now, many I know cannot get past that fact. Alec Bohm here is another solid submission. He's hitting 285, OPS 768. He is 
third on the team in RBI behind Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos. It seems like, aside from the double plays he often hits into, a lot of big hits, a lot of timely hits. And he's been awesome in the field. He's their best fielding first baseman. I don't think it's really close. Harper's fine. Alec Bohm's a good first baseman. And he's been super solid at third base. So that's the offensive side of it. What's interesting here is there's a case for Zach Wheeler as well. He has been the best pitcher the Phillies had. He's been the most dependable. And although he is a 3-7, it's an ERA that's inflated. I made this argument as they entered the trade deadline that if or the All-Star break, if there's one guy that's going to turn it around, it's Zach Wheeler. And he's been better in the second half, but his FIP is still 3.04. There's still more positive regression coming. He's second on the team in innings behind, obviously, Aaron Nola. He's played one fewer game. He could easily be it because without him, as I just went through the rotation and what it's going through, I don't know where this team is pitching-wise. Now, the funniest submission by far, if if Kyle Schwarber's not it, and I was looking on fan graphs at war for the team, and slotting in at number three, believe it or not, I believe Stott is one, Wheeler's two. It values pitchers that, that pitch a lot, and Wheeler clearly is one of them. Number three on the team in fan graphs war, which might turn everybody off from the stat forever, is Aaron Nola. Yes, he is a 4-4 and just set a career high in home runs. What's great? He still has a, a whip, a walks and hits per innings pitched. That is seventh in the National League. He's still missing bats. The numbers with runners not on base, bases empty, have been really solid. The problem is the home runs. You don't need me to tell you this. I, I hope that the sign in San Francisco when he battled through that bases loaded jam and got through seven with two runs. I hope that that indicates a big turnaround for him because one, I want to be right in supporting him, but two, this team needs it more than anything. If they can go really good one, two, that makes a lot of playoff series look a lot different. I would not say that Aaron Nola has been their MVP, but I will continue to try to explain that he brings value to this club. This bullpen would be dead if Aaron Nola is not up to, what is he at? 160 innings so far on this season. It'd be totally dead, and the rest of the staff would be as well. So that's where I'm at so far. Uh, Stott's probably my MVP. I would go in this order. Stott, Zach Wheeler, Harper, Nick Castellanos, Alec Bohm, Aaron Nola. I'm not putting Kimbrell up there. I like He's a closer. Yeah, he's he's been really good, and you need good relievers, but I'm not buying into him meaning more than what the guys that pitch more mean to this team. So that would be my five. I would throw in maybe an honorable mention to Kevin Long, the hitting coach. For what Brandon Marsh, Christian Pache for that limited time, Rojas so far, Stott, Bohm, for what the young guys have been able to do and how they've developed with the bat, Kevin Long could be one as well because, again, without these young guys, aside from the stars, this team is not in the position where it is, and they're not primed for, now with Turner and Harper being hot, the stars taking over and sending them, hopefully, on a playoff run. Now, Dave Dombrowski could be part of that too because he he acquired some of the guys, like Apache and 
He obviously made the trade for Lorenzen, which has worked out pretty well so far. But just on the field, Bryson Stott, easily my, my Phillies MVP. All right, it's on the clock. A couple other things to hit before we move on to some MLB storylines with August now reaching the final stretch. This was a topic on WIP a week ago after the deadline. A player that was on the team last year was traded, subsequently released. We saw him down hanging out on a boat, having fun down in Miami. Rob Thompson was on the morning show and said that he loves him as a player, would obviously be open to coaching him. Jody Mack said this. I completely agree. If you get Gene Segura to buy into playing once every eight or nine days, being a utility bat off the bench, and just being part of the clubhouse, a guy that you can pinch hit and also use utility-wise, I am wide open to bringing him in, to re-signing him. Now, he might not want to have that role, which I get, and need a bad season in Miami, but we know what he could still do. It's not as if he just suddenly, his game just fell off a cliff. That's not true. Now, who we'd be replacing, and this is the big point I want to make, is Rodolfo Castro, who I don't, I don't need to see him take another at-bat for the Phillies ever again. Like, I'm, I, I'm done. I'm good. I, I like a lot of the projects they've had, a lot of the reclamation, teaching guys how to hit. I'm, I'm out on Rodolfo Castro. He is currently 2-for-17 in his Phillies career with two walks. That is a 118 batting average, 211 on base, and I, just every way you look at it, he has been putrid. Now, this is supposed to be a team that's going to a World Series, and they're going to need some utility bats off the bench, whether it's down the stretch in September, whether it's in the playoffs, whether you need a right-hander to come in and pinch hit. I would rather Gene Segura up there every time compared to Rodolfo Castro. I'm, I'm out. Just somehow I find me a better utility infielder, and Segura's out there. So that's, that's an option I would be 100% open to. Another thing from this week, Rob Thompson moved Bryce Harper down to four for a game. Turner up to two, obviously, he's been there the last couple days. I don't like it. You know that I defend Thompson and a lot of what he does. And I believe it worked because the team, that was the 10-2 win over the Giants. It might not have worked because they made the move. Bryce Harper is my three hitter. He's the best hitter on the team. He needs more at-bats. He needs to bat in the first inning. All, all the cliche of what a three hitter brings. I am okay with Turner at two if he's hitting, but I loved Alec Bohm at two. I love when the lineup, and you'll hear me say this, is lengthened by having productive hitters towards the bottom. That's what Bryson Stott does. That's what Turner does. When they had Stott and Turner five and six or six and seven after JT, depending on if he's hitting, and then Marsh after that, you are then resetting the tone for Schwarber to come up with guys on base, for Bohm. It's a bottom of the lineup that produces, which you don't always see. Now, Atlanta has it, but go back to last postseason run the Phillies had it. But I, I love going back to the Phillies 08 World Series run. I love Carlos Ruiz. I love Pedro Feliz. But you got to the bottom of that lineup, and pitchers were able to kind of coast until they had to face Utley Rollins Howard again another time through and Victorino and Worth. So if you want to put Turner at two, that's fine, and move Bohm down. But Bryce Harper's my three-hitter, and finding any way, like having Stott six, that's why Schwarber has to hit one. And I thought there was a great 
article by Anthony Sanfilippo in Crossing Broad recently that while Schwarber is not the greatest leadoff hitter in the world and Aaron Nola has been underwhelming this year, when you talk of those two positions, Schwarber at leadoff and Nola pitching game two, the reason that they are going to do it and that they should is one track record and you hope a return to that, but two, and more importantly, the alternatives are not that attractive. Everyone loves bringing up Rice and Stott, and they did it. He wasn't as productive in the leadoff spot as he is where he's been the rest of the season. Schwarber out of the leadoff spot, not good. Aaronola now, and, and this goes to the rest of the rotation. If the other guys aren't pitching well, you, you just hate Nola, and you don't want him to pitch game two. Like He's going to do it because the alternatives are not that great. That's where I'm at with, with Schwarber hitting leadoff and Bryson Stott down a little bit lower where he's been, five, six, seven in the lineup. And and like I mentioned, really interesting to see with Marsh back how they platoon them. Does Marsh start against righties and then Rojas goes in? What's the defensive replacement strategy? It, that's a good, flexible way to do it. I mean, they're both good defensive center fielders, and they both have shown an ability to contribute. Like, Marsh has been awesome, mainly against righties this year. But that's a good platoon. That's a good duo, even if you're bringing one in in the seventh inning as a defensive replacement. All right, it's on the clock. Uh, Next week, the Angels come to town. We're going to talk about that series in a little bit. Mike Trout activated off the injured list today. So I got tickets to Wednesday's game to see Otani and Trout. Uh, Future Philly, Mike Trout even, once he turns like 80. But that's something that everyone should be aware of as we go into next week. All right, it's on the clock. When we come back, what's the biggest surprise? of the MLB season so far. We'll get to that. Some other stories from across Major League Baseball all coming up next. All right, we are back on the clock. Thanks for hanging out with us on this Friday. Subscribe to the podcast feed if you're listening that way. Leave a review. All the cliches you hear in shows. Uh, If you're listening on the Phillies 24-7 channel, continue to find us that way. We really appreciate it. What's been the biggest surprise of the season? This is interesting because I was going through like, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. Oh, we look back. Yeah, of course the Mets were terrible. But entering the season, they were one of the World Series favorites after all they did in the offseason and all the money that they have spent. What's been the biggest general surprise? Here are the ones I wrote down, and I have not decided yet, so I'll get to it at the end. The Orioles are elite. The Rays have fallen off. The Orioles, I believe, are the best team in the American League. They're elite. But they're elite without any real big-time additions. I can't wrap my head around it. Last year, they were solid. You saw signs of growth. And then clearly, their young guys are playing great. And a lot of young pitching that they've called up. Adley Rushman is awesome. But they didn't make any big moves at the deadline. They didn't go out and get a Justin Verlander. And yet, they're still excelling and looking like one of the teams to beat out there. It's awesome when the Orioles are good. I I enjoy baseball when the Baltimore Orioles are good. That's been great to see. How about you enter this season? What if I told you? You would have said I was crazy. The Mets, the Padres, the Cardinals, and the Yankees are all going to miss the playoffs. Now, the Cardinals I actually was down on. Their pitching was complete toast entering the season. But the Yankees even, you could have convinced me. That division's really good. 
their team is weird. Like they signed Judge, but it's not a very well constructed baseball team. The Cardinals and the Yankees, I could see. But before the season, if you say that Mets team after last year, and obviously the disappointment, but how good they were, and the addition of Justin Verlander as well, you said they missed the playoffs and they stink. They're one of the worst teams in the National League now since selling at the deadline and taking the foot off the gas. And the Padres, too. Now, the Padres are trying to make a late push, but after the NLCS last year and all the talent they have, and even with some more moves to bolster it, still cannot wrap my head around those teams not being in playoff contention. How about the Texas Rangers? Now, they've you could have seen them being awesome. They've they signed DeGrom. They bought a pitching staff. Evaldi's been great. And you saw some young promise on their team. You know, Corey Seager, after his post-Tommy John struggles, he is he's a pro. Marcus Simeon continues to be awesome. But the Rangers are great without Jacob DeGrom. It's not a surprise that he unfortunately got hurt again. It's been his entire career. But they are an offensive juggernaut, and they get Scherzer. But they're one of the American League's best team without that big ticket even contributing. You often see a big move made, and it's, okay, this team is going to be great if this hits. We've kind of seen it with the Phillies. When Trey Turner hits, the team looks a lot better. But, I mean, they're great, and DeGrom hasn't even pitched for them, barely, this season. It pains me to say this one, but how about the Atlanta Braves? I mean, all the numbers, they, they might be the best offense since the 1927 Yankees. Now, I, I don't have that lineup pulled up in front of me, but intuition tells me it was filled with stars. That's always the most, whenever people talk about the most impressive baseball teams ever, they're always brought up. And this Braves team is that. It's unbelievable. Now, it'll be hilarious if it crashes and burns in the playoffs, as they did last year, but just unbelievable, truly. After what the Phillies did to him in the postseason last year and with the young, like, just top to bottom, you can't find a weakness on that team, and it sucks. They let Freddie Freeman go. This is the most unfair piece about it. Freddie Freeman is a Hall of Famer. He is one of the best first basemen. He's one of the best hitters I've ever seen. Obviously, he kills the Phillies, but they let him go in free agency, that whole saga, and they get to trade for freaking Matt Olson, who's what, leading the National League in homers? Everything they touch turns to complete gold. And, and shout out to the Athletics for getting rid of an awesome core for absolutely nothing. How about the, uh, the Reds and the Cubs as a surprise? I mean, the, the Reds maybe more so. The Cubs signed Dansby Swanson. You wonder if if the pitching is going to be enough. They have I they have Drew Smiley starting tonight, and they're in a wild card spot at the moment. There's something that tells me the more you throw Drew Smiley, the lower your chances at making the postseason are. But still, they their offense has been a revelation. Wrigley looks super fun out there when when they're playing well. And uh, the young Reds called up a million guys. They also didn't make a move, but I will say it is costing them. They needed pitching at the deadline, and they have some young pitchers coming back up. Hunter Green just got up, but he got rocked. And I don't know if they're able to sustain it, but even so, we're getting glimpses into the, the future of the Reds, and the Cubs somehow just come out of nowhere 
and they've been one of the best teams since the All-Star break. So there's there's most of the team-related ones. The last one I noted is that the pitch timer, after a couple months of watching it, feels completely normal. I didn't think I'd feel this way. And again, I hope in the playoffs, part of me still hopes that they do without it, that we get playoff baseball without a clock, or at least without, or with an extended clock, with moments uh, allowing suspense to be built. But the pitch timer does feel very normal. And, I mean, clearly it's had a positive impact on the game, on on the game's popularity. Attendance has skyrocketed across the country, both obviously with the Phillies, who have been really good and really fun, and it's it's a great atmosphere down there to go to. But teams across the country that aren't pathetic and don't stink, they're pulling fans now. So that's it's good to see for the sake of the sport. But what's your biggest surprise from from that list? I hate to go back and pile on the Mets and the Padres, frankly, and those weirdos that did the song. But I cannot wrap my head around the Mets and the Padres and then throw in the Cardinals and how great their fans tell you that they are. And the Yankees, a similar deal with all the 27 nonsense, even though they haven't been back to a World Series since 2009. All those teams missing the playoffs is impossible to comprehend. Some of the highest payrolls, some of the most talent, and some of the stories of last year, especially with the the Mets and the Padres, good and bad. But for all those teams to miss the playoffs, and instead, where we sit right now, the wild card is occupied by the Phillies, who, easy to see coming. But aside from that, the Cubs and the Giants, who are so grossly untalented. Gabe Kapler... You can hate him all you want. I think it is undeniable. While he is annoying and was annoying as the Phillies manager and probably should have approached some of those phone calls with Angelo a little differently, it's undeniable he's a good manager. That is a grossly untalented team in San Francisco, yet they're in a wildcard spot. Now they're tied with Arizona, who's back getting hot again. The wildcard is the Phillies, the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, the Giants, the Reds, the Marlins before you even go down to where San Diego resides. And that's all happening with the Padres and Mets sitting down there. The Padres are five back of the final spot. The Mets are six and a half back. And in the AL, uh, the Yankees are dead. They've lost nine in a row. They're 10 back. Seattle has been... Seattle sold at the deadline. Here's another surprise. They sold at the deadline, and they've been one of the best teams in baseball over the last three weeks. They have won seven in a row. They're 70 and 55. They're up there with Houston and Tampa in the wild card. The AL seems loaded and easy to predict aside from Baltimore, where Texas you could have seen coming. The Central stinks and whatever, Minnesota. But Tampa, Houston, and Seattle, after last year, you could see. The NL, uh, not, not as much so with some of those super brand names with all the big money not making it. So it's, it's been an interesting year. And... It's going to be cool to see the contrasting styles of, say, high-priced teams going up against some of the young, fun teams where you think Orioles against Texas in the playoffs. It's going to be fun to see, not errors change, but those matchups uh, between those teams. All right, it's on the clock. Ben Kenny with you. We'll close it out when we come back. We will look ahead to the next week in Phillies baseball. I will be back on Friday next week. The... Short vacations, the 
not very short drive up to Vermont. Those are going to be gone. So no more weirdly timed episodes. Like, I, I, I hope the Phillies beat the Giants tomorrow, too, and sweep them so that the joy coming off of that walk-off is able to withstand into when the show was actually released on Friday. Hopefully. But they won the series, so whatever. The approach is the same. The thoughts about the team are the same. I just hope that Gabe Kapler blows the last game and somehow somehow Angelo calls in or is heard from or does something. Because, man, it was awesome to see him on the broadcast earlier tonight. All right, on the clock, we will close it out when we come back. All right, welcome back in. It's Ben Kenny with you on the clock. Again, back next Friday. So the Phils have an interesting six-game stretch this weekend and then through the middle of next week. They are facing two teams that, I mean, some thought were supposed to be good, but that are not. That are not good teams. They should, a six-game stretch, this should be a 4-2 and two at the least. Continue the momentum from the Giants series. They have three against the St. Louis Cardinals, who somehow, they're 55-72. and 72. They're only six games ahead of Colorado for the worst record in the National League. Now, they're not as bad as Oakland or Kansas City, obviously, but one of the worst teams in the National League is impossible to see coming. They stink. Adam Wainwright's out here pitching to a... 9 ERA, trying to get his 200th win, which is the most selfish thing I've ever seen an athlete do. Like, just retire, dude. Hopefully they get to see Adam Wainwright, but it's at home against St. Louis. That should be a fun series to go to, because hopefully the, the Phillies go off offensively. The, the Cardinals are just terrible. That, that should be an easy win. And then you get the Angels. You get Shohei and Trout coming in. But the Angels, since the All-Star break, have been bad. They are 61 and 64. They're still four and six in their last 10. They're also not playing good baseball. So a stretch like this, we looked at the national stretch as a, a jumping off point, a bunch of games against Washington. The Nationals have actually been good as of late. They're young. They're kind of pesky. They're winning some baseball games. These are the teams, the veteran teams, one of them that sold in the Cardinals, one of them that should have sold yet still can't win in the Angels, this is where space can be made. And there already is space developing. On Tuesday night, again, the Phils are 69-57. and 57. They are four up on the last wildcard spot. They're three and a half up on the Cubs for the first, so they're comfortably in there. But man, if you could get to September somehow and extend that lead up to seven or eight games and not coast, but maybe get some pitchers some rest, Maybe approach some games differently. Uh, you get a lot of games to end the season against the Mets. I would rather those games not decide whether the Phillies have the number one spot or whether they make it, obviously. So should be a fun stretch at the ballpark coming up. Obviously, the uh, the weekends are always fun down there, but the Angels series should be a blast. I'll be down there on Wednesday. You just pray that Otani plays. Otherwise, I get to come on radio and cry load management or things of that nature. It's like when, when LeBron visits a city and sits out, everyone freaks out. Except, I mean, how, how cool is it to see LeBron play basketball? Like, whatever. It looks the same on television. Shohei Otani is, is the greatest person to ever touch a baseball. Likely. The most talented, at least, to ever touch a baseball. I was talking about this with my dad. And we'll get out of here in the next 30 seconds. But the best players I've ever seen play baseball. It's actually a better list than I thought it would be. 
Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, and this is live, Vlad Guerrero, Manny Ramirez, Barry Bonds, I think maybe, but I'm not sure. And then obviously Roy Halladay. There are a lot of pitchers. Okay, how about you take Vlad Guerrero, who is Hall of Famer, and Roy Halladay, and put them together, there's Shohei Otani. So that should be a lot of fun. Down at Citizens Bank next week, we thank you, as always, for hanging out. I'm Ben Kenny at Kenny on Twitter. Follow me there. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T Mobile.com.